Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's November 21st. It's me, Advisor, and Big G, who's here. And uh, we also have a special guest. We have Quintus from Flashbot, Flashbots, who is here to uh, walk us through Intense and Suave and everything awesome that Flashbots has been putting together over the last few weeks. So what's up, Quintus? How are you doing? What's up, guys? I'm well, thank you. I'm uh, chilling in lovely Cape Town, so hard to complain and happy to be here. <laughs> hey, so when you woke uh, up this morning, so when you woke up this morning, uh, what kind of intents did you have for today? Was it? Uh... <laughs> uh, since, since this is live, I, I should say like uh, working hard, you know, being dedicated, <laughs> disciplined. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing going on chain, I think. <laughs> um, so let's get into it. I've I've been kind of uh, uh, there, there's a really great like do you follow Guart, Guarty Guart? Yeah, I, yeah, I know Guart. Yeah, Guart's had some real bangers yeah. about intense recently. He's like uh, about how like you know with all the suffering going on in the world, it's just incredible that people don't know more about uh, what's being built with intense over Flashbots. Uh, <laughs> So let's let's really get into it. I I've been looking into this and it looks pretty incredible what you guys are building. It looks to be like this brand new uh, middleware architecture that um, takes this process of of transaction building, uh, where you have uh, one side where you have the the person who who has these desired outcomes of a a state in Ethereum and then constraints on on whatever those outcomes are. And then you have a whole host of other people, these solvers that then compete to essentially figure out what the best way to put that that uh, transaction together is. And um, this has been a growing um, like part of research in the Ethereum community. And uh, Flashbots has really been at the top of the game in building out this new type of uh, transaction building system. So like, how did this all come about and like, is it really as like seminal and uh, exceptional as as like all the the hype is making it out to be? Uh, sure, I guess there's a, co a couple of questions together there. Maybe just to to start from the beginning. So referring to Suave, which is our sort of big product that we're working on right now, uh, mm -hmm. and is sort of comes from us looking at at uh, block building and general sort of uh, activities in the sort of MEV landscape, uh, MEV ecosystem, uh, and saying, okay, well, look, all of these are very important activities. We're, you know, trying to, um, I guess, every transaction which ends up on Ethereum, almost every transaction goes through this block building process, uh, and yet it's, it's centralized. You know, is there some way we can decentralize this? Is there some way we can add better guarantees? Um, and we realized that uh, in order to do this, uh, we are missing like a key piece of infrastructure, which is a way to provide sort of general credible compute. And when we say credible, we mean, um, you know, like the code you expect to run or the behavior you expect to be exhibited is the behavior that is exhibited um, in a, like a low latency and, and a private way. Um, and privacy is really important if you think about all of these sort of trading based activities where, um, you know, people are susceptible running and their, their kind of information is, is very valuable, their, their alpha, you know. Um, so um, we, we started from that, that point of view and then realized that 
so this this um, kind of problem is is very common for really anything that happens bet between the user, the wallet, the front end, and and the chain. And so mm -hmm. the real reason the, the intent discussion has come to um, and flashbots is because we um, like the infrastructure needed. To okay, so let's let's talk about MEV. Like, where are we today? Uh, with with all this MEV stuff, like how has the MEV landscape changed over the past year uh, with the arrival of Ethereum proof of stake? And um, you know what what facilitated the need to to build something like Suave? Right. So I think there are a couple of things to point out here. The the changes which have happened in the last year have been focused uh, largely on. Um, the validator set of Ethereum. Uh, and the, the real risk with, with MEV there is that um, there's a sort of a, a concentration of, of returns and so a concentration of capital. Uh, so for example, if you know, uh, if we're in a world where just being a better trader makes you a better validator, makes more money, then the sort of all the stakes should should accumulate to uh, the version of Lido that, that is, you know, run by Citadel. Um, and so with, with the coming of the merge, uh, Ethereum moved from most of their blocks being built, or all of the blocks being built by miners, sort of on the miners machine with some help from the outside to a model where blocks are being built almost completely uh, externally by this entities called block builders. Um, and the main motivation for this was to create a market so that even Sort of most resource constrained validators would be able to uh, plug into this market when it was their turn to produce a block and um, sort of produce a very valuable block still, even if they weren't you know, adapt, adept at, training, at trading or had lots of capital at their uh, disposal. Um, and then where Suave comes in is sort of partly related to, to the validator set, but much more focused uh, towards the user saying, okay, well, the user still has a problem because even though um, the validator is on this position to access valuable blocks from the outside market, um, the user still has to trust these block builders, has to trust some intermediaries before um, the user actually gets to do something on chain. And so Suave, like I was saying earlier, um, is creating a sort of like secure environment for off-chain compute. Um, so that um, whatever uh, infrastructure, whatever code needs to be deployed to process user uh, interactions before they go on chain, that can be deployed in a way that user can trust that it, that's being, um, you know, the expected results are, are what they're going to get and no one is sort of like uh, um, benefiting off their information by running or, or um, actually like not doing with their um, intents what they expected them to be doing. So the way that I understand it is that th this evolution occurred because there were some sophisticated actors that came along and said, hey, every time there's an on-chain action here on uh, whatever network that we're using, like Ethereum or any of these L2s or something, primarily Ethereum, uh, there's always a, a, a bit of a value that we could probably uh, take, right? So if somebody makes a trade on Uniswap, okay, well, now prices are different in two different places. We could arbitrage those away, right? Or, oh, hey, we see this transaction being broadcasted to the public mempool. Oh, well, we can we could front run that and take that transaction ourselves before these, this other person does. Or, you know, there's an, an infinite amount of possible uh, transactions happening on chain where people might be able to figure out some sort of... Uh, either action to take beforehand 
or uh, a front run or action to take afterwards so that they could uh, engage in some for some sort of like arbitrage or, or value extraction. And, and this is MEV. And so as, as the space became more and more competitive, where you had like many more players like flood into the space trying to like do this, compete in this, you know, highly uh, public and open market, uh, you started to see like, I, I don't want to call it cartels, but like groups being set up so that you could have more efficient auctions uh, on the one hand for these, these people trying to extract value. And then on the other hand, for the users, uh, people offering benefits to the users saying, Hey, come transact through us. We'll give you the most competitive rate. And if there is any sort of like, we're not going to front run you for one. And if there is any sort of like back running to be happen, we'll split the cost with you. Right. Um, so that we can, we can essentially guarantee flow. And, and what this is kind of moved towards is, is almost like a payment for order flow system that you would see in, in TradFi, but it just works a little bit differently. Like in, instead of having like an official route, like what, maybe there is like a quasi official routing, but uh, you know, you, you're seeing transactions being routed through a, a set of sophisticated actors who then go out and, and make a bit of profit, but try to be as competitive as possible when delivering that, that, uh, that product or fulfilling that transaction. Yeah, exactly. That is something we've seen um, quite broadly. Generally, these are called order flow auctions, or the um, like demand side auctions, also a term that people use, or RFQs uh, is, like a, I guess, a specific form of them. Um, I think the most, one of the most well known is probably um, CalSwap or, or maybe OneInch. Um, and yeah, the, the idea is to say, like, listen, once a user just sends out the right, it gives away the right to execute their, um, their transaction or whatever their, their order. Uh, to the public, um, then people are going to do with that whatever is the most profitable for them. That's often not in the interest of the uh, the order flow, the order originator. Um, so what you want to do is you want to allow the user to use uh, competitive forces to their advantage and say, okay, well, um, I'll you know I'll only give the right to fill my order to uh, some party that actually is like, giving me the, the best offer. Um, and there's a bunch of designs sort of going around and and. Some of them, I think, make more sense than others, and we'll, we'll see what, what ends up working. Um, but I think a more general trend that you pointed to there was um, that the landscape has shifted and that uh, you know people are competing and saying, okay, listen, we, we need user orders, and that's what's valuable to us. Let's try give them better offers. Uh, I think what's unfortunate about um, this kind of setup, which is like, you know, seems quite beneficial to users, is that this also... Um, is architecturally concentrated. So it's not just that uh, we say, okay, like, hey, use this kind of um, order flow auction. Use, we use our service because it will give you good offers. It will give you good execution. Um, it, it also means that like, we're all in, attached to this offer to users to like give them this like um, good execution is like a, a request that they send their order flow specifically to one node, to one block builder, to one service, um, which is quite centralized in that um, now the user depends on this one service to uh, execute them, but also this one service has a lot more control over um, how users act, uh, um, interact with Ethereum. Um, and because we have these uh, sort of network effects as order flow concentrates to, to one player or another, um, it's hard to compete with them. And the guarantees which were initially offered to users from a competitive market kind of fall away. So what we're trying to do is, is to separate the architectural concentration 
um, of these kind of services from um, the, the actual competition of services. So really want people to have to um, compete for user uh, flow without having to concentrate the flow to like one node or, or one um, service under the control of a specific uh, entity. That was a bit yeah. of a ramble. I don't know if that all made sense. No, I understand. Like when you when you have all the power to like determine which blocks or like how transactions are essentially uh, uh, like ordered in the block, it, it's it gives you a ton of control because then if if all the transactions or a majority of all the transactions are running through your system, you have all this power to determine like which which orders go where, uh, which entities or institutions might be preferenced when uh allowing like or it's not, not even preference but like who gets to arbitrage what who gets to take what transactions like what are the fees for that system uh that's ordering those blocks what do they charge right do they start increasing fees do they use their monopoly power to start uh like taking a a, a larger uh, set of the market uh share uh and so th there's a lot of dangers that come in there from uh, allowing a, a single player. So like, like how do you, how do you prevent that though? Because it seems that like it, from a user's perspective, you just want the best rate, right? I just want the, the easiest execution and the best rate. So it, it doesn't seem that it's gonna be fixed on the retail side of, you know, asking somebody to just like, uh, you know, they just wanna open up their wallet and fire off a transaction, right? And they're, they're not really like thinking on the back end of, oh, hey, you know, do I really care where my my order flow is going or or how it's being auctioned? Um, you know, I'm sure the the users at 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 Robinhood are not thinking on a daily basis. So hey, like, is Citadel you know <laughs> making a a penny on every trade here? So like, how does that how does that get like built out? Like, where does the uh, resolve and drive come from to be able to decentralize that in a uh, in a like substantial manner. Yeah, I think you pointed to two issues there. One is sort of like actually how can you improve on the status quo period or oh, I guess question mark. And then the second was uh, given that users are irrational, given that they sort of respond to moo sounds in the UI more than, you know, price improvement. How do they, um, you know, how do you actually get them to, to switch to something that makes sense on the first question? I think the answer is, you know, right now we we've um, bundled together. Or maybe I should phrase it like this: Why do users um, specifically send to one service? It's because the service is, hey, will operate in a certain way, um, and you can trust us to operate in this way. And, and the users do this because they, they say, okay, they they realize that if, or I guess the service provider for users, you know, whoever's operating the back end, um, says, okay, we'll interact with the service provider because. Uh, if they misbehave, we can we can switch away, um, and so we 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 want to interact with their mechanism, and they'll 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 run their mechanism truthfully because otherwise um, they'll lose our flow. But you know what what we are trying to do is we're trying to provide a way for people to for anyone to to credibly offer the service and to say you don't have to trust us. We obviously will execute this kind of order flow auction or whatever you want um, because it's enforced by the system we're running, uh, and that that system being like running that system, meaning we're deploying your, your code on Suave. And I can give a more concrete example of how that works. And then now from the user's perspective, opting into the service doesn't mean choosing a specific node or a specific person to, to run your 
to execute your order flow. It just means how opt into the service and anyone running this kind of infrastructure is, uh, you can trust them to, to actually run the service on your behalf. Um, and in that, in that way, you get away from this like, concentration of, of order flow to uh, specific entities. Um, and like, an example of such an entity would be like a block builder. Um, and maybe just to say a little bit more about like concretely how like Swab as a platform offers this kind of credibility. We use a bunch of tricks, but at the sort of source of what we're doing is uh, TEEs, which is a kind of hardware cryptography um, that give, gives people guarantees that they expect to be running is being run because of um, the guarantees the hardware gives, uh, and also that the operator of this infrastructure doesn't have uh, information not specifically granted to them. <laughs> so we, we actually wanted to know about the encryption, right? So. Um... Like, is MEV always going to be a part of the EVM, right? Because right now you have uh, like two options, right? So in in kind of the base option, you have public inputs that go into a public mempool and are seen by everybody, and then can people can extract MEV from that, right? Uh, in another system, you have an off-chain uh, mempool, which could be encrypted or could be private. Um, but again, this brings in the question of of the centralization or other issues like you're talking about. And so there are trade-offs there. Um, do we ever get really get to a point where we have like private inputs and uh, a public state afterwards where we have like encrypted, uh, like an encrypted mempool where people can't really see what the transactions are coming in. Uh, and it's only like post-fact or post-transaction or post-block uh, that, that, that there could be some information gained from uh, whatever the previous state was or the state transition was. Yeah, well, I, I think in, we can definitely get there. Um, you know, some some chains are already doing this uh, where the transaction building, like if you look at like Penumbra, for example, I don't know if they're fully live yet, but it's a chain with a design where the sort of like block builds a much simpler version of it, but a blocking phase happens completely privately and then only... Um, and then only, you know, once a block has been settled, is, is the information revealed publicly. I, you know, on the question of does this remove MEV or like um, eliminate it, I think that's a bit of a hairy question just because the definition of MEV is sort of like has become so vague over time. Um, but I would like generally say no. Like I think there's like sort of some sort of behaviors that people um, typically classify as MEV. So like sandwiching or something like that, that's, that's MEV. Um, and you know, if we don't, if we have privacy, then we don't have that. Well, um, I don't think that's you know, really captured. It's the full complexity of it. Uh, so, for example, um, you know, even if you have um, the state of the blockchain only being available at um, you know after a block has been executed, there's going to be still be some kind of competition to be at the top of the next block. Um, and you know, depending on how your chain is set up, uh, this competition might manifest itself in different ways. People might spam your chain. You've seen that with different kinds of um, chains. People um, you know, bid for it, which is the most common version. Um, I guess it depends you, 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 um, how you de define MEV. Uh, but I think, I think that generally people competing to like option the chain or, or take a, the like option, which is out of price, still is is mev uh, yeah another mental model here is to think of like the structure of the um 
the structure of the sort of trading environment or the um, environment that people use to interact with the chain, ultimately there's always going to be some entity with an advantage um, because they're about assuming like maybe you can get around this, but it's hard for me to imagine a situation in which the validator or the miner, whoever's building the block, uh, say in the block, isn't in some sort of structural advantage um, where they either have low latency or more information or a combination of both, or just the ultimate set and what's included um and so yeah maybe you have private transactions but still you have like stale quote to like transactions coming from certain places yeah well maybe the public model like <clears throat> i've heard i've heard a um a like it, like so intense or these these transaction building uh, be referenced as simply just like a limit order right where somebody's offering a to make a make a trade at a certain price uh, for a certain amount with constraints in it, and then somebody just has to come along and take it, right? Which is essentially what these solvers are doing. And you, you, if you think about how like a like a central limit order book works, which is you know if we're if we're trying to make connections here between uh, like these intents being limit orders. Uh, you know that's fully public, right? Uh, people are able to see that, and then there's a, like a two-sided auction that happens, uh, where you know traders are bidding up and and uh, bidding down, uh, trying to find the best price, right? And uh, really moving the price around based on on the 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 offers and the, the asks that are in the market. Um, so maybe in a way the public system of of having a uh, of, of what we have now on ETH is is almost better, right? So instead of having like T plus one when it comes to the block execution uh, or like information about knowing what's uh, uh, what's going to be included in the next block or like what the the post state of that block is, um, maybe it's just better to have a, a public state then and then just figure out how to have the order execution be as efficient as possible when it goes to the order flow auction, um, so that so that it's like. Uh, the most fair for everyone. Right. Um, so I think there's like a couple of things to say on this. So I, I take your point to be that, you know, what if we just leave privacy aside, we just have these sort of demand side auctions, these order flow auctions where people bid to execute orders. And as long as there's competition there, then maybe we don't need privacy. Maybe that gives us good enough prices. So if if that's your, your argument, I think there's a, a couple of things to say. Uh, the, the first is that this might be true, um, certainly for some some kinds of orders, uh, but it isn't true in general. So even if you look at um, limit order books or just try to find general, there are many examples of people um, relying on privacy to give them better execution. On limit order books, you get iceberg orders or, or hidden orders, which give you this. But but also people try to replicate privacy basically by, through, like, through time by interacting with the blockchain, uh, with the sort of the exchange. Um, slowly de delivering orders, uh, delivering limit orders or, or like taking orders, um, um, trying to sort of obscure their, their, um, their trading intentions. And what you're trading off here is trading off, um, or not trading off, I guess you're deriving some notion of privacy at the cost of um, doing things over time. And in blockchains, because things move a lot slower, it might make a lot more sense for you to be able to announce your or like express more um uh or complex way your intent say okay this is actually what i'm trying to buy these are my uh, price preferences 
um, but if you're if you do this completely publicly, then you're in trouble. So if you if you if there's some way for you to mm. uh, express your your trades in private or like your preferences of your trades in in, in a private way, uh, but still in one go as opposed to in many messages, that might be the the perfect trade-off between um, communicating information and, and doing um, in an efficient manner. Um, I I think a really good resource on this is a, pro a propeller heads argument, uh, or maybe not a complete resource, but a really good one is. A a propeller heads uh, blog about uh, different kinds of trades and whether they benefit from privacy or not. Um, yeah, and there's, and there's sort of like a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different like traditional finance research on this as well. Um, under different market conditions, it might make sense to announce a big order saying, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to sell um, this big block of trades. Get ready, uh, and then you guys can buy it up, and that way you get much less price impact." But under other market conditions where like the market's more plastic, so they, they react more over the long term to, to big trades. Um, if you announce your trade ahead of time, people can go, great, you're selling you know, Microsoft, I'm going to sell Microsoft as well um, because I know I can buy it back for cheaper once you've sold. And so it's a, mm -hmm. like a lot more complicated. In some situations, it definitely makes sense for things to be public, but, but yeah, it's, it's nuanced. Yeah, but you, I mean, you even, but you find that even in public market, right? Where, you know, like, like you talked about the different order types, uh, there's also uh, like dark pools that uh, large yeah. institutions will use uh, in case they want to do large swaps or essentially be able to you know hide their trading activity from from market makers. Um, but when you go to the largest central limit order books, I mean, typically everything's mostly public there. I mean, you, except for those order types which you talked about. So, um, like, it, am I am I thinking about the in, like the intense or the this block building um, and solvers in in the right way it, are like are these just limit orders, or is there something more here that is a bit more complex? Yes, so um, I've I've heard that take recently. Some one of my colleagues recently tweeted about an interaction we had. We were speaking to a market maker, and someone mentioned intense, and he said, "Oh, you mean limit orders?" You know, in a, in a sort of dismissive way which i think is fair i think there's a lot of um but i don't but i don't think it's dismissive i don't think it's dismissive i just think it's like when you know when when i set up a limit order i'm essentially saying hey i want to either buy or sell this thing uh i want like i want this in state and here are my constraints of what i'm trying to do right and it seems like a lot of what's being uh, or at least the transaction types that we have right now for the evm that, that run through uh, this intense like system, uh, they're mostly limit orders, right? They're, they're trades being filled. Uh, they're people getting into DeFi at, at, with certain things. I mean, like, I, I'm just trying to understand if there's more complexity to it than, than what is there now, right? I, I think for sure, uh, there's certainly more complexity. And I think the complexity can come in like two directions. One is, I think, experimenting with much more um, complex expression, expressions of preference. Um, so, you know, a limit order is, is basically like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a binary condition, right? Buy or don't buy, you know? Um, but you could have something more expressive where you say, you know, at this price, I'll buy this much, at that price, I'll buy that much, a different, a more complicated supply curve. Um, you could do, you have more conditions that it's based on. So Facebook, maybe on time, like a Dutch order, um, these kinds of things. But 
maybe leaving that aside and say, okay, well, all of that's been tried in traditional finance. If you look at like these sort of alternative trading venues, um, like um, like one crone also these kind of things, they also allow users to express like like whatever you can express in code as a as an order or what, yeah. Um, I guess I don't have to go into that too much. Maybe that maybe you, you argue that like even these generic kinds of, of expressions of orders are, are still not new um, and they're sort of just an extension of limit orders. I think the other side of things that people don't appreciate is that there's some people who talk about intents not as, you know, okay, what kind of message formats can we come up with? What kind of, um, you know, rules can we encode in a smart contract that, that uh, serve users better? I think people also really think about the UX side of things. So you, for example, have people who are building LLM front ends for transaction signing. Uh, and they think of the intent as like whatever the user is going to write down in natural language. Um, and, then, and then maybe they convert that into a limit order or a series of limit orders or something like mm. something else. Um, but really the the concept of intent is more of a UX thing. It's like, okay, how can we like go to the user and have them express what they want in the language that is most natural for them? I think that's I think that hits it on the head, right? So instead of thinking about it in like binary like code terms, uh, it's better to think about it in more expressive terms. Just saying like, oh hey, like I want I like I've got some USDC. I'd like to earn the best yield right now, right? So that goes out. Somebody figures out where the best place to do that is, and then a transaction gets fired off. And then there's competition between those uh, those solvers to figure out where that is. Um, and the, some of them may have completely different answers, right? About, uh, like what that best transaction could be. And so it's, it's, I, I think it, w when I think about it, it's moving beyond just like going to DeFi Llama or like their swap page and seeing the aggregation of a bunch of different trades and getting to the point where you have, uh, a bunch of different systems that are, that are trying to compete or a bunch of different solvers that are trying to come up with the, the best way to like maximize a certain strategy for somebody um, that again, like you said, is expressed in, in like simple uh, language terms. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and it, it, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I, I was just wondering, like, so what does this mean for like UI and UX going forward? I mean, like right now, I mean, we're all pretty well adjusted to like MetaMask and or like Rainbow or whatever kind of wallet that you're using, Rabi. Um, like, how does this change like UX over the next like three to five years? Like, wh how are we going to be interacting with with EVMs in 2030? Okay. I should start this answer by saying that I'm not qualified to answer and I'll give <laughs> two, two answers. But one of them is having a conversation with someone today and they were pointing out, you know, they don't feel like there's a, a good place where they can open a wallet or open some interface and then see all of their token balances across all the different chains they use. Um, you know, that's like a very basic thing. And maybe there's, you know, there are services like that out there, but they're not super well known. So I think just like very basic innovations like that probably, um, will take us like quite some distance. Um, but a more interesting direction, like I mentioned earlier, was the sort of like LLM direction where, um, you know, people will, um, people are like clearly more comfortable interacting in that natural language and more comfortable um, interacting with, with the AIs in general. And um, it'll be interesting to see uh, as time goes by, if we don't see a lot more sort of interaction the blockchain 
uh, on users' behalf by some like personalized AI agent or, or some some kind of service. Um, you know, and this makes a lot of sense if you think from like the more sophisticated angle. Like a lot of trading firms are already trading based on AI recommendations, already like trading completely based on an AI model, um, or at, le at least a like programmatic model. And as you take that further and make them smarter, it becomes more and more like more like AI. Uh, but from a user's perspective as well, I don't think it's um, that unrealistic to expect that some like, personal assistant will be putting in Amazon orders for you at some point um, and like doing sort of general transactions for you. And, and as, if you take that further, um, you can imagine that personalized AI uh, interacting with the crypto systems as well. And so maybe, you know, in, in N years, 10 years, 50 years, I don't, I don't want to give a timeline. Um, you, you can imagine most of the interaction with the blockchain being bots, but in particular, like smart bots. Um, and so maybe that, that that's what it looks like, and that seems kind of exciting. We actually have some of the people in our research team working on understanding this, and in the cooperative AI community, um, which is you know not directly focused on crypto at all, they're just focused on getting AIs to work together. Um, they you know, have been doing research in credible commitment devices or co commitment devices, which is uh, something from economics that uh, but resembles blockchains quite closely. Um, and so. Hey. Many different look at the AI crypto uh, synthesis there. So, like, where does okay? So let's let's bring it back to Flashbot. So, where does where does Flashbot sit in all of this? I mean, you guys are building out uh, this new system called Suave. Um, yes. So, like, w like where does that fit in, right? So, we we've talked about the evolution of like uh, block building and how MEB has kind of uh, been become more competitive. Uh, now we have all these like L2s, right, that are popping up like literally everywhere. Uh, and they all have different ordering schemes, uh, like Arbitrum runs differently from Optimism and Optimism runs differently from Polygon. Uh, so it, it seems that that Suave is like, or at least the way that I understand it, is like the one ring to rule them all, right? So you're essentially building this combined uh multi-chain like off-chain mempool and uh, block building infrastructure that allows people to essentially submit transactions for whatever network they want to be on uh, and and have this order flow auction uh, happen through suave is that am, am i on the right track here yeah that that's that's um yeah pr pretty accurate i would i would say i would say it more generally and say like flashbots trying to build a platform in Suave. And so the idea is that people who are trying to develop these order flow auctions or any kind of like off-chain service that users rely on um, on Suave uh, in order to you know, give users better guarantees. Um, and I guess you know, give the general counterparties better guarantees like solvers working in an auction and these kinds of things. And you're right, this does touch a lot on the sort of interchain world because someone could define sort of cross-chain cross, cross chain applications like this. Um, at the same time, I think you might see some of these um, newer domains, you know, like chains or rollups or, or whatever it is, um, looking at Swap and saying, okay, well, maybe give out guarantees by directly integrating um, with Swap as well and say, okay, well, you know, as, as rollup number 500, uh, we want to impose a very specific block ordering scheme and we can't impose this um, just directly with the technology at our um, disposal in the form of blockchains and, and um, 
fraud proofs and these kind of things because some of the block building process um, you know isn't verifiable post fact like for example um, is there what what did this happen in private did someone um, front run transactions or you can't look at you can't tell that by just looking at a, a list of transactions have this happen in private they might deploy the specific block building contracts on swap as well um, and so because we're quite generic and planning to be like a sort of neutral platform um, many different use cases can sort of surface on here and it'll be interesting to see i think we serve sort of both both use cases garrett i know you had something yeah i'm just a little bit curious uh to know like i mean all the technology behind mev and flashbots is like super cool um the piece i don't understand because i'm not a lawyer is like where and how does like flashbots operate legally uh, just because we're seeing like, you know, basically even hyper legal, super compliant businesses get smacked down by the US government. Like where does Flashbots sit in all this? Yeah, I think uh, Flashbots is, I mean, listen, I'm not in the legal team. I don't make decisions. So I, you know, I, I just give a very high level answer. I think we're like, you know, very on board with people, um, you know, being able to operate as entities in public and not being, you know, um, not having from law enforcement because of what they're doing. We're trying to create a world where we can give users good guarantees without people, you know, evading the law and, and these kinds of things. I, I, why... I, I think the, I think the better question to ask is like the more doomerish question of saying like, let's say, let's say some three letter agency says like, all four letter or four letter agency says like, uh, <laughs> Those North Koreans have been running relayers on Suave. Shut it down. Like, it, it, can it be shut down? Like, what, what are the, are there centralizing factors that would allow for a systemic risk to, um, like, uh, just transaction continuity and block building across all these EVM chains in case, you know, some regulator or government got pissed off at, at Suave? Like, what are the risks here? Yeah, so I think if you look at like what's happened in recent history, whenever you know there's been some reason for flashbots to comply with something, we we have um, because of our ultimate belief is that you know a system should should be um, resilient against its uh, sort of individual parties um, having different preferences, and so um, you know the the whole point of designing a decentralized permissionless system is that um, you know one party like flashbots making a decision shouldn't sway the the whole system uh, that's what i think how ethereum should operate and, and how all of it should go so uh, you know i don't think um the the outcome of the system or like the properties of the system should rely on how flashbots behaves um that's probably a better question directed to people with a, a higher pay grade than me well, I'm I'm just wondering, like, is 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 Flashbots and Swab going to get to the point where uh, it's just open source code? Nobody can shut it down uh, if if you know it's it's fully decentralized and has no centralizing parties. Is that possible in the future? Well, we're in, we're in testnet, <laughs> so. Well, I'm I'm saying like if is is that the it's not if it's possible is that the goal for the future is to like build a, a fully trustless and decentralized order flow uh, auction infrastructure. Yeah, the, the, the goal for the future is to have a relationship 
um, I think like the Ethereum Foundation has with uh, Ethereum. Uh, you know, currently, uh, let's let's see how things evolve. But you know, I think the idea is to build a system which is exists quite autonomously. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I just I just get like super paranoid about stuff sometimes. You know, like we've we've had a really nice run for the past few years, but uh, after the tornado cash stuff, I just I just assume that like everybody's going to get OFACT at some point. Uh, and unless you're building like fully, like just systems that can just exist on their own, um, you know, once the band hammer comes, uh, then, you know, it's, 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 I, I don't know. It, maybe it's just being too paranoid about things. Maybe, maybe we do get like a, like a, a well operating structure where, you know, people can run these things, but I don't know. Maybe and it's maybe it's also a matter <laughs> Maybe it's also a matter of, uh, you know, the, the different uh, projects, uh, actual intents, actually, and yeah. uh, visions. Because, uh, like, for example, Kintos, uh, how do you guys see, like, uh, what, what do you see the vision of Flashbots uh, in the upcoming, like, decade? Uh, as you guys see it from within, I mean, what, what is your goal uh, within, uh, like, the ecosystem and, uh, like, how do you see things evolve? How do you want things to evolve? What kind of role do you want uh, you guys to have uh, within the ecosystem? If uh, are you even talking about that kind of stuff? Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know, one of the things that we really care about is that people can actually use blockchains with the guarantees that they're supposed to provide people, or rather, people should be able to interact digitally um, with like good guarantees. And so sometimes that means that yeah, people are interacting with blockchains, but I think there's a lot of use cases or a lot of situations in which blockchains are like currently too limited, like they're too slow or don't, are not private. Um, and so we, we want to provide an alternative so that in every interaction in which there's some sensitive interaction, which, which requires the user to um, make some trust assumptions that they don't have to trust some just some counterparty to be honest, but rather trust in some security model. Um, of a consensus algorithm or some software cryptography or some hardware cryptography. Um, and so that's like, I think one broad goal. Uh, and to give you maybe a, a, a flavor of like what exists outside of blockchain in this direction, um, like Google ad auctions uh, is an interesting direction or ad auctions in general, where um, Google is currently being sued by the Department of Justice like in, in, in an antitrust law, lawsuit where they're being um, accused of sort of using their market power um, in, in controlling these ad auctions to manipulate the auctions and behave badly and, and you know, um, do things to their advantage uh, and to the disadvantage of their users. Uh, and, you know, what we should be aiming for, uh, we should be looking at like an industry at this uh, very large market saying, okay, well, we can actually add something here. We can add some degree of credibility, um, maybe data markets as well, saying, okay, we don't want to have like a handful of actors um, really control the system. We don't want to have the need to forge trusted relationships uh, really slow down um, how it, and, and like, reduce the efficiency of these kind of markets. So can we move in that direction and, and um, without sacrificing too much efficiency, uh, add credibility um, and make trust sort of like cheap in those settings? Um, and I think that, that's a direction we're headed. Um, so yeah, short-term um, MEV uh, in like the narrow definition and long-term like MEV in the real world, I would say. That's cool. Very nice. 
Uh, well, cool. It's, I think it's probably a good place to wrap up on. Uh, we probably will be back tomorrow. We just got news that that uh, the DOJ is going to announce the Binance settlement today. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny that that uh, CZ was like trolling us all by by saying four, and then the the settlement comes out to be four billion at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's like three point seven, and he he requested it to go up to four just for the meme value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the meme will make more will uh, make more money back. It's all marketing. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I, I know you mentioned the Propeller Heads blog which looks pretty cool and we'll include that in the, in the show notes but what else should people go check out what should they read or, or listen to to find out more information about what you, know, you guys are building at flashbots or intense or um just this uh, block building in general um sure i guess there's a bunch of resources i would recommend people look at the flashbots forum at collective.flashbots.net um also I haven't listened to it recently. Uh, I haven't listened to it at all. Um, but two of my colleagues recently went on a bankless podcast to talk about Swamp. So that's also an interesting resource. Um, yeah, and I guess like you know, Discord, Discord chats and, and Twitter threads. I don't. I don't uh, a lot of it's very unstructured conversation at the moment. Um, but the the recommendations I gave for now, I think, should should be good for anyone uh, getting started. Um, to, to just get a brief understanding. Very cool. Well, we'll have all those links in there. And uh, I think we've got some links to some of your videos as well, too. So, oh, true. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've <laughs> recorded rambling and in many occasions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for being here today, Quintus. I know we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, but uh, we made through and everything was great. So, great being here. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Good job, sure, man. Great to have you on. Wish you a lot of luck. Good work over there. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye, everyone. Cheers.